really is coming together. Uh, last week I shared with you that in our goal of trying to turn commitments into cash, we had set a $75,000 goal that we had hit somewhere in the neighborhood of about $36,000, $37,000. Um, this week we're up to about forty nine. So over the last week, you guys stepped up in a big way. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. <clears throat> it's amazing. Now, what that means is that uh, you made for a very good week around the office. Oh, it, it felt so good. We slept well. Um, we felt like we could actually eat lunch. It was, it was really good. Thank you for doing that. Um, I want to tell you something else, though, that happened. You know, when we build this building, it's not for us about creating some monument so that people can drive by and go, oh, I bet that's a neat church, or look how cool that building looks, or whatever else people may think when they look at a building. Some people probably will drive by and go, I can't believe another church spent that much money on a building. No, that's not what it's about for us at all. It's about creating a place where, where everybody is welcome. Everyone. We like to think that while maybe not everybody will like us, Maybe we're not the same culture as somebody else, or maybe we don't believe what they believe. We don't dress or talk the way they do. We like to think that the moment a person encounters four corners by walking through the door, that they would sense what is our heart for every person, that you're welcomed here. Now, let me tell you today in the message why that's such a big deal for us. See, we didn't come up with the idea. It wasn't a novel thing for us. We weren't creative and and had great ingenuity to come up with the idea that wouldn't it be great if we created a church where everyone could feel welcome? That's not original with us. That idea goes all the way back in your Bible to the very creator of this world. The most creative one, God, had the idea that he wanted to create a world where every person that lived on this earth would feel welcomed in his presence, would be welcomed to have a relationship with him. Now, not everybody understands that. Not everybody feels that. Sometimes our background, our heritage, our experience, what we see on TV, stories we've heard, how somebody hurt us, sometimes we don't always feel welcomed with God. But that's exactly the reality. And today... I'm going to take you to a place in your Bible where the heart of God is on grand display. Where he goes out of his way to show with clear language exactly what he hopes every single person experiences as they think about him, as they walk this life. And we as a church have just tried to capture that and live it out. So this week... I was with a bunch of junior high and high school guys and their small group leaders and their student ministry leaders, and we went rafting down the Okoy River in Tennessee. And we had a mini revival. As we were going over the rapids, people were praying. I heard that. Some folks were calling on the Lord, oh God, help me. Um, It was great. When I got flipped out of the boat, I ain't going to lie, I just did a a little confession. God, if there's any sin I don't know of. Would you please just cover that now? No, we we had a great time. But there was something beyond just the fun and the adventure of doing it together that made it so special for us. We got together, and there was a lot of conversation. There was a lot of laughter. You can imagine when there were guys together, there was a lot of things that many ladies wouldn't find very appropriate. Um, Smells, body functions, that sort of thing. A lot of punching, just showing love to each other. In profound ways. We we had a great time hanging out together. And as a pastor, here's what moves my heart. What made me so excited 
was watching these young men experience what the Bible, what the Bible's trying to communicate to every one of us. That there's a group, there's a special place, there's a home where you can feel like you're a real part. Where you're welcomed, where you're valued, where you have a role, where you're significant, where your worth is on display. And I watched these students, for some of them, at the most awkward time of their life. Their bodies are changing, their mentality is changing, their values are shifting, things are, things are in transition for them. And I watched them at this time, many of them on the brink of stepping into full manhood and becoming an adult, experience what it was to be together, to be valued, to be listened to. They experienced what it was to be welcomed. Now listen, if you're a parent in the room, if you're an aunt or an uncle, and I know, and to some degree you can all relate to this because you're either a son or a daughter, God's idea that you're welcomed with him is not just the idea that he has at large for the world, and it's not just the idea that he put in the DNA of each church, whether they live up to it or not. There's another major institution that God started that he wanted people to know their value, their worth, and to feel welcomed in. Two big institutions God started, the church and the family. God's original design for every family was that you and I would know what it was to be loved. Know what it was to be wanted and welcomed, to be valued, to see our significance, to have somebody else call out in us what's good about us, our potential, and to encourage us along the way, and sometimes to correct and corral us. In both of the institutions that God started in this world, a people of God and a family with God, his heart was that you and I would experience this divine welcome as we experience the people he created. That's why God spends so much time in his word talking about the importance of family. That's why he calls men to step up. That's why he calls women to step up and to live out those values in their own lives so that they don't become the roadblock preventing other people from experiencing his heart. And he calls that to you and I in our families. And he calls that to you and I in our churches. This idea of being welcomed in the family and in the church is a really big deal for God. So much so that his favorite name of himself, like, like the descriptor, the title, is Father. Father. The one who holds it together in, if you kind of want to go large with the metaphor, from the 30,000 foot view, the dad. He's the divine dad. He's the heavenly father. And in the church and in the family, his agenda is the agenda we all are to buy into and to promote. And I bet in this room, your experience is varied. And some of you have had profoundly positive experiences in your family. And you learned in your family, some of you, the fortunate ones, what it was to be loved and valued and you were encouraged, and there was gentleness in the correction, and there were values lived out, and you came through that experience largely feeling like your cup was full and you were prepared. And some of you, we know, 
That's exactly the opposite experience, opposite experience to what you had. You left the family where God's heart for you was. You would experience love and affirmation and value and worth. And somebody would speak the truth to you about your faults in a loving environment so that you could grow through them and develop. And that didn't happen to you at all. And you, you came to that edge of stepping into your own life with the cup somewhat empty. Some of you, your church experience is largely the same exact way. You think about your church experience as a kid, and when you go back there in your mind, it's largely a positive thing. And the people around you, while they weren't perfect, they largely lived out the DNA of God's heart for you. And they showed you the value of his word. And they held up the power of his presence, his spirit at work in you. And they loved you. And when you failed, and of course you did, they lovingly corrected and tried to pull you back in. And they listened to your concerns. And they shared in your triumphs. And they celebrated your testimonies. But for some of you, when you think about church, that is not at all your experience. And the heart of God that he had in creating the institution of family and church, when you think about church, that wasn't your experience. You're not unique, by the way. All throughout human history, God's design was speaking loud in creation in the institutions of the people of God and the family. And yet people missed it regularly. I always get concerned when a pastor stands on a stage and starts talking, for instance, about being good parents. Because when I've sat in the seat, i got to tell you, by the time he's done, I usually feel like this tall. Like I, like I have blown it so bad. There's so much more I could do. And this is one of the reasons why I love our Bible, the gift of God of his word to us. Because when you read the Bible, there's not a single perfect parent in it. I mean, not one. Not one family completely captured God's heart for the family and lived it out so that people came through it without the normal bumps and bruises that families bring into our lives. I mean, let's go all the way back. There was Adam and Eve, and they had it good, didn't they? I mean, it was perfect in the garden, naked and unashamed. Everything was given for them to subdue and rule. And they blew it. Their family was so dysfunctional that two of their kids were jealous. One was jealous of the other and ends up killing him. You would think that humanity would have learned from the lesson, but just a few hundred years later, there's Noah. And this is like one of those sketchy places in your Bible where it does, it's like it's so bad, it doesn't even want to tell you what happens. But after the flood, after God had demonstrated profound protection and love, Noah finds himself the keeper of a vineyard. That's what he decides to do after the flood and after the ark thing. And he likes the fruit of the vine, and he gets drunk. And then there's the sketchy part of the Bible where two of his sons are involved in an altercation with Noah who's naked and drunk. And a curse is placed on one, one third of the family. And then there's Abraham, the father of the faithful. God tells him, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to raise you up. Your example is going to be a light to the world. And Abraham goes, oh, God, you're taking a little long. We're going to accelerate things. And he bypasses his wife. And he goes to his wife's handmaid to raise up an heir. Creating all kinds of schism and conflict in the family. And then there's Isaac and Rebekah and their sons, Jacob and Esau, 
And mom schemes against dad with brother to steal the birthright. And then there's those 12 sons of Jacob, whose other name is Israel, that become the 12 tribes. And they sell their younger brother into slavery. This is from the pages of your Bible. And everybody goes, oh yeah, but in the Bible there's the Proverbs 31 woman. Like the perfect woman, the perfect mom. Yeah, let me ask you a question. What, what was her name? What? It's, it's not there. It doesn't exist. Even Mary and Joseph get scolded by a 12-year-old Jesus for missing the point. There's not a perfect family in your Bible. And yet God chooses them to be the recipients of this DNA and says, I want you to be the primary place from which people learn my heart for them. I want them to know that they're accepted simply because they're in the family. They don't have to earn this. I want them to know and experience that when they're imperfect, when they fail, they don't get kicked out of the family. No, you're always in. Then he raised up the church to take it from being more than just a group you belong to to being also an army that accomplishes great things in this world. So when Jesus came along in your New Testament, people had varied experiences just like you and me. And they had missed it all the way along. So Jesus came, and his whole heart was to show everybody, his whole purpose was to show everybody the heart of the Father. And he did that through his miracles when he would heal people. Lame people would walk again. And Jesus was saying, I have power over every obstacle. And where you're broken in your life, I can heal that. Blind people were made to see again. And where there were spiritual forces at work, Jesus declared his authority and said that no limitation on earth and no limitation in the spiritual world can stop the movement of God. This is God's heart for you. And he told powerful stories. Sometimes of real life people, sometimes of made up with powerful truth. A couple of those stories that always grip my heart, are found for us in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, you'd like to go there. I'd like to show you one of them that you've probably heard before. And when you hear this story, what we typically do with it is this. We go, there's the story of two sons, and we focus on the one son who didn't do what's right. And we focus on how he comes back. He comes to his senses. And that's a powerful lesson in the story. The story of, you ready? The prodigal son. We tend to focus on the sun, and very often you'll hear ministers like me stand on a stage and they'll encourage people, if you're away from home, come back. You're welcomed here. And that's a powerful and true story. But running as a common theme throughout the pages of your Bible is the story of God's heart. And it's nowhere more clearly on display than in the story of the prodigal son, the heart of of the father, I believe, is the grand story in the prodigal son. Do, do you know enough of this story? Well, let me catch you up in about a minute. Two sons, an older and a younger. And the younger evidently gets tired of living in the older's shadow. The older one is supposed to get two portions of the inheritance. The younger one gets his portion. So in two sons, three portions, two to one, he's already in the shadow of his older brother. And one day he decides... I've had enough. I want what's mine. Dad, give me my inheritance. Effectively saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. 
I wish I could go ahead and accelerate what's going to happen ultimately. I want it now. And the father gives him what he asked for. It's a dramatic display of generosity from the heart of the father to his son. He gives him what he asks. Didn't have to, wasn't required to, but he does it anyway. He gives him his freedom. (coughs) And then the younger son, he goes away. And the Bible says he spends all of his inheritance on riotous living. I don't know what all riotous means, but I bet we could fill in the blank. And he spends all of the money. And he finds himself in a faraway land, tending to the pigs. Now he's a Jewish guy, tending to the pigs is the lowest of the low. He's so hungry that he says, it looks like the husks that the pigs are eating would be desirable. And he says to himself, I'll go back to my dad. I know his heart. And I'll ask him not to be a son, but I'll ask him to be a servant because my dad takes better care of his servants than the position I'm living in. And he makes his way back to the father. And our story to capture the heart of the father picks up here in Luke 15, verse 20 and 21. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out and he embraced him and he kissed him. In the ancient Mideast, older people with dignity didn't run. They wore long flowing garments and the richer you were, the nicer they were and the longer they were. And he'd have had to pick up his skirt, if you will. It sounds funny, but gird his loins, pull him up so he could run. And he runs out to meet a, a, a display of throwing caution and dignity to the wind because all that matters is the sun. And he embraced him and he kissed him. And then his son started his prepared speech. Father, I've sinned against God and sinned before you, and I don't deserve to be called your son again. True statements, but not at all the heart of the father for this son. Guys, show show me the next one. But the father wasn't listening to his prepared speech and to his excuses and to his self descriptives about his value and worth. I'm not a son. I only deserve to be a slave. And while he's talking, the father calls out to the servants, quick, bring a set of clothes and dress him and put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. What an amazing story. Now, if by chance you're the prodigal today and you're away, part of the story for you, come home. Come home. Just look, quit. Quit. Just stop. Come home. I know you don't feel worthy or possibly you won't be welcome, but God's heart is on display. Come back to him. If you're, if you're in our church and maybe your previous church experiences haven't been great, What we want for you is to experience exactly what this father is demonstrating to his son. You can belong right here. Everyone is welcome. Everyone. Whatever might be going on inside of you saying that you won't really belong, you'll always be second class, and the best you'll ever be is a servant, we just say no to that. We want to, metaphorically, we want to put a ring on your finger and clothes on your back and and clothe you with dignity and give you something significant to do. Something significant to be about the mission of Jesus in this world. We want to put sandals on your feet and cover you. And we want to celebrate 
and have a party with you. Now there's another son in the story. He's not so happy. Because the money being spent on the party ultimately is his. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want to fund the celebration of those that were lost and not rule-keeping. And in this story, we learn there are two major characters. And Jesus is telling this story so that we can find ourselves in one of them. There was the irreligious son. And he just said no to God, no to God's way, no to God's structure. And he went off in riotous living. But he's come home. He's come home not just as a place to belong. He's come home to the Father. And the Father embraces him and takes him in. Then there is, on the other side, there's the religious. The older son. And he hasn't left home. And he's kept the structure. And he's done what's right. But somehow both of them missed the whole point. They both missed the heart of the Father. They wanted to be with them. To be connected to them. To each son individually. To have a relationship of meaning and worth. The irreligious son had gone so far, he knew he didn't belong. But the religious son, if you keep reading the text, he demonstrates that he no more gets the heart of the father than the irreligious son. And part of the problem with doing church in today's world, let me just be honest with you, is we have a lot of people who are religious, and they do the thing, but they don't get the heart of the father. And it makes it tough when you're a church leader. Because if God was trying to do anything in the church, he was trying to communicate to a lost and dying world, you're welcomed here. But because, maybe because they didn't leave, maybe because they've kept the rules, maybe because it's a money thing and they don't want to spend the money, I don't know what it is. But there are an awful lot of religious folks who, just like the irreligious, don't get the heart of the loving Father. Look at these verses. Here's what it says. All this time, his older son was out in the field. Pause there. All the father wants is to be with his boys. That's all he wants. He's waiting by the window every day with bated breath to see the younger son come home. And when he sees him, he runs to meet him. He doesn't wait for the son to grovel to come back. But where's the older son while the party's going on? When dad's in the house, where's the older son? He's out in the field doing his duty. Doing the right thing, but missing the heart of the father, not with the dad. When the day's work was done, he came in, and he approached the house. He heard the music and the dancing. And calling over to one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. And the houseboy told him, your brother came home. Your father's ordered a feast. That's what the father does. Barbecued beef. It's good stuff, isn't it? Oh. At exit 29 on I-75 South, there's a restaurant called Sonny's. Why don't you take me there? We'll spend the day together. They got all you can eat. I love it. Pork, beef, chicken. Oh, barbecue beef. And here's why. Because he has him home safe and sound. And the religious older brother begins to do a slow burn. The older brother stalked off an angry sulk and refused to join in. Oh, it's not fair. I've been keeping the rules. I've been doing the thing. Yeah, but that's not what God wanted. He wanted your heart in close proximity to the Father. Of course, 
rule-keeping and doing your duty matters. And in one sense, the people of God are an army to be mobilized, and so we do have work to do. But at its core, we're family. When one of us is gone and comes back, we pause and we celebrate. If that hasn't been your experience in church, I'm sorry. We blew it. Some other church blew it. Even when we're doing correction and telling truth, the Bible defines the language and the tone with which we do that. We do it in love. Somehow, we've got to keep the heart even as we hold the standard. When we lose the heart, the standard loses its punch. The punch isn't to be right. The punch of the standard is that it brings freedom to those that God loves. went and refused to come in. The father, watch this heart of this dad. The father goes out and tries to talk to him. The father runs to meet the younger son, and he goes out to plead with the older son. Please, don't do this. Don't act this way. Get my heart. Come back in. Let's celebrate. And how did the older son act, who knew he was right, and knew deep down he deserved to be treated better? He wouldn't come back in. The son said, look, how many years have I stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief? But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? The son of you, he has thrown away his money on, on prostitutes, shows up, and you go all out with the feast. Can you just sense his indignation? And on one level, who can blame him? Except that he misses the entire point. He has a point, but he's missed the big point. How many times in my marriage, when God's heart for me and Jill is to have a loving, thriving relationship, that I've had the right point, and somehow communicating it, I missed the point. And you know what happens in a marriage when you do that consistently? It chips away. You know what happens with parents when you do that consistently in the home? It chips away. You know what happens in a church? It chips away. And the biggest thing we have to offer is not our goodness or our standards. It's the heart of a loving Father. It's the grace of God. It's the blood of Christ. If we glory in anything else, we're fools. And so God calls to churches and he says, will you demonstrate my heart? And the Father says, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that's mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. The brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. And in telling this story, and in telling the story of the lost coin, the whole house is turned upside down to find it. And in telling the story of the lost sheep, and the 99 are put in a safe place while the shepherd goes and seeks out the one. Jesus was demonstrating to every church and every family what God's heart is and what God wants for every person. And it's powerful. And sometimes in our journey and this life, we so need to be reminded that we're welcome. You have significance and value and worth simply because you're made in God's image. Listen to me. If that's what you need to hear today, let it sink in. 
If you come back to God or you come to him for the first time, here's what you will find. You will find him waiting with bated breath, with a ring and a robe and sandals and wanting to have a party in your honor. There will be a table spread in heaven for every lost person who comes home with a banner behind the head table with your name on it. And the angels rejoice, the Bible says. And if that's what you need to hear, hear it. But there's another part. To every older son, if somehow in doing the thing you have lost track You've lost sight. You've lost grip on the heart of God. And it doesn't exude out of you that you are willing to celebrate with those that were lost. That you're willing to put forth the effort, the time, the energy to make those that were lost feel welcome. If you've lost sight of the heart of God, you too need to come back to the Father. This would revolutionize church in America that we would learn to be as passionate about our standards as we are, but couple that with the heart of God so that every word we speak while we tell the truth, we're as sensitive to the tone as we are to the truth. Listen to me. Do not compromise. But we already have when we've compromised the heart of God. Welcome, people. Yes, it's difficult. Of course. Some of you parents who have older kids, you already know how hard it is. You've seen them royally screw up. They broke your standards. They went against the values of your home, and consequences begin to flood in. I don't know how. I haven't lived long enough. I'm sure I will. I got four kids. One of them, I'm pretty sure, is going to go off the deep end. I hope it's just one. I think I already know who he is. We're putting a fence around him, dog collar, the whole bit. I'm pretty sure I know which one it is. But I don't know what I'm going to do when they do that. Somehow I've got to, in my discipline in my repair i've got to somehow pull him back that's what we have to do as churches that's why that's why we have to have things like small groups bunch of you got to lead small groups this time because we need people who get god's heart that it will share god's truth knowing that his truth brings freedom to the people he loves but at the same time communicating the tone saying you're welcome to my home because a lot of people won't understand what God wants for them yet. But they'll understand whether or not you're friendly to them. And that's why we need small group leaders who are committed to the truth of God's word, but at the same time committed to communicating God's heart. And open their home and say, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know your experience, but you're welcomed right here. That's why we pour so much time and energy into student and children's ministry, family ministry. That's why we, we hold them to the highest standards. We're always learning and always growing to find out a better way to make sure that implanted in each child's heart is a clear representation of God's heart. And while we may fail them, he won't. And where we do, we'll do our best to make it right. And we'll take them all shape, color, and size. And while it's no longer politically correct to sing the song, our heart, our heart will always be red, yellow, black, and white. Everybody's precious in its sight. Send the emails. Go ahead. It's okay. It's all right. That's our heart. That's why we'll build buildings. That's why I'll look at some of you that are older and I'll say, look, you're older in life. You're further along. You have more money. Please give more. A lot of our 20-somethings, they don't got jack. They can't. And they're so far upside down. 
but we can help create a place where they can come. This is the heart of God. When we get that as a church, friends, and we live this out, never compromising the truth and never compromising the tone that Jesus was explicit about, well, we'll know that we've had real revival. This week, we finished our 90 days of prayer at day 77. We read through the entire Bible, from Genesis through Revelation. Yeah, that's good stuff. And we declared God's word in our space. We will always do that. But we're going to make sure that as we do that, that the tone of God is clear. Jesus saved his anger, and he saved his harsh criticism. Not for the irreligious. He didn't. Look at how he dealt with the woman at the well. Look how he dealt with Zacchaeus, the thieving tax collector. He saved his harshest words for those on the inside who had the truth right there and missed it. They were living by the rules, but they missed it. Jesus said this of them. Listen, listen to these words. You are whitewashed tombs. You're a tomb. You're dead on the inside. And you look all pretty on the outside. Your mouths are open. And yet your throat is full of, of vipers. This is one of the reasons why churches in America struggle. It's why, it's why the cause of Christ sometimes is hard. The whole thing is hard anyway, to hold those things in balance. And yet this is what we're called to. Now let me just encourage you. Friends, if I've ever been involved in a church in my entire life, and I've been in church since I was five years old, that gets this as good as any church I've ever seen, this is the one. And as we are about to embark on a new facility for us, a new tool, if we get a lot of things wrong, and we will, we cannot get this wrong. We cannot. We can never compromise the truth of God's word, and we can never compromise the heart of God as we tell the truth of God's word. And I'm sure we'll fail. And when we do, we'll come with bent knee, repenting back to our Father. God, show us your glory. Overwhelm us with your character. Dispense in us your truth, and let us never lose your heart. School's about to begin. Parents, you want to know what to do with your kids this year? You want to know how to pray for your kids this year? As you pray for their teacher, and as you pray for their friends, and as you pray about the little opportunity they have, and you pray about the challenges in front of them, ask God to help you demonstrate his heart for your kid. This is why you got to step up. That's why church has to be a priority. This is why you got to have an open Bible in your living room. Because if you somehow provide experiences for your kids, but you miss describing and displaying for them the heart of their father, you will have won on a lot of levels and people will slap you on the back. But at the deepest levels, you will have failed. In just a moment, we're going to take some next steps together. But let me press parents for just 30 seconds. Listen to me, parents. Every year at school, I, I get a little nervous, and just as a dad, because I know, I know that the world is going to like bombard my kids, and I've done, I've done the best job Jill and I know how. We've done the, the putting a fence around our kids, and we run the risk 
of producing a bunch of little, little religious kids who are look good, sound good, know how to talk down to people, quote the right verses. But I don't want to raise my kids in the Christian ghetto. I want my kids to have God's heart. I want them to have Jesus. And this has to get as much attention and as much of your resources, your time, your energy as money as any other value you have for them. So when you pray this year, how are you going to pray, parents? Listen, if you're not a parent, you're an aunt and uncle, you can pray this too. God, in the limited influence I have over this child I care about, would you let me be your heart on display? And when I do that, God, would you give me moments of open opportunity to dispense truth into that kid? Because when you, when you have that kind of a relationship where there's trust over years developed and that kid believes your heart for them is good and you only want what's best, you'll be surprised how often the door is swung open wide for you to just dump buckets of truth into their life. And conversely, you'll be surprised at how quickly the door slams shut the moment a kid doesn't trust your heart for them. And it's a tightrope. It's, it's a tough walk. But you can invite God into helping you do this. You serve in this church, listen to me. This is a big deal to us. It's a big deal to me right now as we're on the brink. This is the thing we got to carry forward. We do it well. we got to do it better. We cannot stop. And God will honor it. The whole point of your Bible is to show God's truth and God's heart. And for churches that do that, God honors it. And their ministries flourish I don't know if they grow huge or not, but I know that people's lives are changed. Why don't you grab out your Connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. Hey, if somehow through all of this you've missed God's heart for you, I want to give you an opportunity right now to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. It's next step A on your Connect card right there. You can check the box. This is an act of your faith. And in a moment when I pray, I'm going to ask God to help you. Move your heart to the place where you say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I'd like you to lead my life. I'd like you to become the Lord of my life. Would you forgive my sin, be my Savior, and lead me? You want to do that? Check the box. Drop it in the offering bucket when it comes by. And we will send you some information through the mail and through email. It'll just help you understand that commitment. Next step B, you want to get baptized? You want to know what the party looks like around here? One of the, one of the early stages of the party around here is baptism. For, for every person who helps make it happen here, every person that gives, every person that serves, every person that invites their friends, every person that makes this church home, we get to celebrate each person that goes under the water declaring, I am dead to myself and I'm being raised to life in Christ. And we cheer and we celebrate Every once in a while, somebody will come and they'll be a part of our baptism service and they'll go away, a guest, and they'll say, I don't think that sounds very, very religious. I don't think it looks very reverent. I don't think it looks very, you know what I say? There are plenty of good churches in Cincinnati because we want to demonstrate the heart of God. We want to demonstrate the party, the welcome that is extended for each person that comes home. If you haven't done that, do that here and let us celebrate with you. Next step, C, listen. Some of you need to seriously consider leading a 4C small group. Check the box. The team will be in touch with you, and they'll vet you out, and you can ask your questions. But if you have even an inkling, now how do you know if you can lead a small group? 
If you say to me, Ben, I don't know jack squat about the Bible, you can still qualify because we'll train you. We'll give you the material. All you need to do is make sure that you're willing to demonstrate God's heart to people and create a welcoming environment. You want to do that? We'll give you the rest of the stuff. You can learn the other stuff. But you got to let God's spirit clean up that heart if it's not there. All right, next step, D. I want to pray for God to lay someone on my heart about our big day. Just a matter of a few weeks, we have our eighth anniversary. We celebrate. We invite lost people. I preach a message about the grace of God. I give people a chance to receive Christ. If you know somebody that's away from God or away from his church or whose family experience hasn't been great, invite them here for our big day. Ask God now to give you a name and make one commitment to invite one person on that day. If they don't say yes, it doesn't matter. You were obedient in the invite. If they say yes, they come, they get to experience the welcome of God even as we welcome them. Next step E. Listen, I want to bring God into the routine of my home more clearly over the next three weeks. This is to those parents I was talking to. Even, even those aunts and uncles and grandparents. I don't know how it is you need to elevate this value. But why don't you start praying about it? And why don't you find one way to elevate that value? Let's pray about these things right now. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that you looked at each one of us and said, you're welcome here. You did that to us spiritually. You've done that to us practically in the life of the church. And God, I am I'm so overcome by how much our enemy likes to get in and tinker with your divine plan in families and in churches and to mess it up so that somehow we keep the form but we lose the punch. Now, Father, our commitment as a church is that we don't want to just proclaim truth. We want to proclaim your heart. And God, would you give us wisdom and discernment on how to do this? God, for each mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandparent, cousin in this room, would you give us your heart for families of how to demonstrate love and acceptance and to build that trust that brings influence. God, where we've broken that already, would you help us to take practical steps, give us boldness, Lord, to take practical steps to reestablish trust so that we can share truth and so that your tone can draw people to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this unbelievable opportunity in front of this congregation. And God, I don't pray for size and I don't even pray for resource right now. God, I pray that this will be the church that when people think about God's heart on display, they think of four corners. They think about that sheet being let down from heaven in front of Peter and the four corners opening up and the message of Jesus going with clarity around the world. Your truth your grace, your love, your heart, your tone, the Father who pursues the religious and the irreligious and calls to them all, come back to me. I pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And Father, for each one committing their life to you, thank you. Thank you for the celebration in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand up?